0: Hello and welcome to the Utah Puck Report. I'm your host, Jay Stevens. Uh, we've got a very special guest in the studio today, Dave Amani, uh, a local agent. Yep. Come on up, speaking to the, uh, speaking of the mic. I, I made fun of Ben for sitting too far back. <laughs> Unfortunately, Ben Wilner pulled a shoot on us. Standard. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not men's league, though. He's just, you know, it's yeah. not a penalty shot where he can act like he pulled a hammy. It's probably for his best interest he didn't show up, though. <laughs> I know you and I were working on, uh, we, had, we had like a half hour of material just to make fun of him today. And yeah, I got a lot more than that. Yeah, so that must be why I didn't show up. No, we're just kidding. But uh, we were hoping Ben could be here and contribute, uh, but he actually has a, has a job. Yeah, he got definitely. a real job, yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, Dave, for those of you who don't know, is a, um, well, not a local guy, but became a local guy and uh, we'll get into that but uh, he is a hockey agent and he also helps run uh, one of the local travel team organizations so dave tell us a little bit about yourself and uh like where are you f- where are you from
1: originally from san diego um i left home to play junior and to you know look for a place to play in college and i had a d3 opportunities but they were mostly uh, the weaker teams back east, uh, pretty expensive private schools and whatnot. See, that's,
0: that's one of the things a lot of people don't uh, acknowledge is uh, there's not a ton of hockey scholarships for those D2, D3 teams, and uh, they're usually super expensive. No, like
1: I was looking at schools in Boston, I had offers that, and it was approaching $30,000 a year for tuition only yeah, with no on-campus housing, and when you look at that, Versus where I ended up going at Weber State, it was, I think, 1500 bucks a, sem- a semester. Uh, <laughs> yeah, pocket change. Yeah, housing was pretty cheap, so financially it's, it was a good move.
0: It's crazy. I, I went through the, uh, the same thing with my son, who is a, a, a decent soccer player, and he had a lot of opportunities to play. He had some D1 offers, but he had a lot of D3 offers and D2 offers. He ended up playing D2 or uh, at a D2 school. And still, like some of, the, uh, some of those schools were $60,000, $70,000. And the D1 offers we were looking at, or schools that we were looking at, like Notre Dame, Pepperdine, um, 90000
1: Oh, yeah. And, and not only the cost, but if you look at the attendance, you're looking at a 5,000-person school. And I mean, my high school, my graduating class had 2,000 people, in and I'm not looking to go and relive high school.
0: Okay, so what what brings you to Weber State? Just the cost, or did you uh, know players? It was a good,
1: there? good hockey program at the time. They were coming off, I think, a fourth place finish in nationals. Yeah, um, it was right when they expanded to the D one team. So, right. I, I had a chance to play a little bit of both levels. What years were you there? Ooh, 05, oh, 04 through oh seven. I want to say or 03, 04 through two thousand seven.
0: Okay. All right, so, yeah, obviously they had some pr- a pretty good foundation yeah, there. Yeah,
1: I mean, when I was there, we lost
0: in the semifinals and
1: D1 Nationals. I mean, it was a good program, good hockey, some good pro- players coming out of there, um, guys that probably could have definitely played somewhere else if they had you know academics or
0: the ambition, maybe. Okay. Um, yeah, and I know a couple of those players from that team. I, f- I followed that team for a while after I left there. Felt like it was uh, kind of my baby, and got to keep it up, oh, yeah. and, and saw a definite uh, improvement in a lot of those players. And and then for me, I was I was getting opportunities out of there um, with the West Coast League and and stuff like that. So it was obvious that we were was like from the first year we were a team to the when I left, it was kind of oh yeah those two or three years had made some progress for the team, and we had uh, John Keekel was another player that. Went right from Weber State and ended up in Europe playing somewhere. And I don't even remember where. I think Nijmegen or, yep. and Phil Snyder ended up in Nijmegen. But uh, John was also modeling while he was there. So <laughs> Makes it easy. <laughs> so you you pick Weber State. You come in. You guys play. Um, did you graduate from Weber State? Yep. Graduated with a bachelor's degree there. Um, Is it in anything that you use? Is it business management or anything?
1: Integrated studies. So it was the easiest one I can get. Okay.
0: <laughs> sure. Perfect. Yeah. All right, I did the criminology program there, and I, I have no idea why. They were interesting classes, and I was really into, yeah. I, I guess, like the X-Files. Well, it was cool, because I,
1: <laughs> I got to pick my classes, basically, and make my own major, I guess. But at the end of the day, I mean, I don't know how applicable it is to anything other than what I'm doing now.
0: Right, well, that's perfect. Yeah. Um, all right, so at some point while you're at Weber State, um, if you didn't finish till 2007, didn't you? you, you start? Oh, yeah wanting to be or like when did you realize you were going to be an agent so i kind of fell into it i always wanted
1: to be a hockey player like more than anything growing up and i just kind of realized like "Eh, not quite good enough to make it anywhere um i i i knew enough people though from kind of networking a little bit and i i kind of had a gist of what what it would take to play low level professionally and i so what i did actually i needed a Thesis project to graduate or a capstone project to graduate. So I started an agency my sophomore year, end of my sophomore season. And I basically tried to represent everyone I played with. Right. Like anyone that would let me help them out. I got Aaron burrell from Utah State, Nick Theros, uh, Robert Hashimoto, like a lot of like TJ um Eric Milliron, guys oh, yeah. like that, like that really no one else would have interest in to, to represent. And I ended up getting pretty much all of them jobs, like Seth Libby. Um, but I put like, Burrell went to Belgium, uh, who else? Theros went to Germany. Guys like that. I I just kind of blindly started offering them out and getting them jobs places. So did
0: you know any of these coaches or did you just start cold calling? A lot of emails. Yeah. Um, you know, staying up for weird hours, trying
1: to get, you know, people to answer my phone calls. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing.
0: Were you, did you go out and get a... So if if it's a college project, did you do all the legal parts? Like, Did you get a business license or Probably certified not. as an agent yet? Yeah. <laughs> no. All right, perfect. <laughs>
1: and I actually, that first summer, I somehow finagled a coach from Nijmegen in the Dutch League. I flew him to Ogden with every dime I had and had him do some camp and ended up taking, actually DJ Giletto came out to it and they offered him a deal on the spot that he turned down. Um Eric Johnson, a kid that played at Weaver with me, like God offered a try out there. So it was interesting to see. I mean, I was kind of getting a feel of what it would take to play it at specific levels um, through trial and error, basically.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I don't know if you know. Um, I, I bounced around, obviously, a lot and, and just ended up either through being an emergency backup goaltender or more through being a, a, an equipment rep. I knew coaches through all the leagues, and then through my connections at Shattuck-St. Mary's, I'd have players that would be like, "Hey, you know, can you help me here, or can you get me? Can you make a phone call?" Okay. So what started out as a phone call for a buddy ended up being, I, I don't know if you could call it represented, but I had like 15 clients at one time. I wouldn't call them clients because they never paid me, okay. but uh, people that I knew that I was making. Like I had to put, I put a big list together with links to oh, yeah. highlight videos. Like it was a a lot of work and I had no idea why I was doing it cuz again I wasn't getting paid but I felt this huge responsibility absolutely these kids were um they were amazing players and uh for some reason like I think you know the one of the first guys I represented and I, I use that term loosely was uh was Brian Deeth, okay and he yeah. had played at Shattuck St. Mary's and then went to Northeastern Northwest yeah Northeastern yep and uh he had zero offers because he was 5'9 on skates. Played here briefly. I want and to say. I, I said, You know what? I, your career is not over. Let me, let me make a phone call. So I, I call the Utah Grizzlies yeah. coach and I say, I've got a guy for you. And they bring him in. They love him. And then after that, Brian had like five other friends call me. And then, you know, as it, it starts rounding out, his little brother Kevin calls me. Okay. Same thing, but shorter. He comes in and he's the lead, he uh, led the team in scoring that year. And I, I don't know if you ended up representing him or whatever, but uh, he ended up over in Europe. And it's it's just crazy for me, and I'm sure for you, uh, now you're the connection to these guys putting food on the table.
1: It's stressful sometimes. I mean, I've had many nights with three, four hours of sleep, um, especially when you have a guy who when they start to – like I've taken a lot of guys from their first contract to retirement, essentially, and when they start to develop a family – and responsibilities outside of just, you know, having a good time with their money. And they have to pay for, you know, a kid to live or medical expenses or-, or mortgage. Mortgages yeah. or, you know, just life in general, you know, or it gets to the point where they're, you know, they can't be playing for peanuts anymore. They have to actually either, you know, make it or get a real job. Right. And, you know, it's stressful because, you know, when that happens too, I mean, my my revenue stream dries up. So, I mean, it's my obligation to- you know, not only from a moral obligation, but from a business, you know, obligation to to make sure they maximize what they can do every every contract they get. Essentially,
0: so, so it's got to be nice to have guys like Evan Stoffel that just don't grow <laughs> <laughs> that don't grow up and can still just take whatever yeah, contract you like throw them, Peter Pan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's uh, you know, he's Stoff is
1: the definition of grinding your way through leagues and finding a way to make a living playing hockey and and enjoying. The career he's he 's had i mean he 's played in some some terrible places, yeah, got paid well for some of them, but he 's i mean i 'm sure you got a lot of the pictures I got when he was playing in China, <laughs> oh, and yeah. the, the deep fried chicken heads they were serving him for dinner, I mean yeah terrible
0: we got, yeah, and those chicken feet that he, oh, yeah. <laughs> he send, that was so crazy yeah all right so it's it 's two thousand and five or or whatever you've you 've got your first clients out there, and I searched our archives when I was doing my research on you, found an, a, a Deseret news article about yeah. you. And that's, you know, so, obviously that's our parent company. So
1: when I was first getting clients, I was, like I said, taking anyone I can get. I was cr- cruising message boards, like for players looking for places to play, like the bottom of the barrel players, like you, yeah. like literally stop, started with whoever would let me help them out. And then eventually I started to pick up, you know, guys out of D1 programs some, by just cold calling and emailing every D1 coach, every D3 coach in the country, essentially, a lot of Canadian university guys, and they'd send me some of the bottom-end guys, and, you know, one of the bottom-end guys pans out, and, you know, they have a buddy that calls me and turns into, like,
0: even now, it's all all referral-based. Right. And uh, I know it, a lot of times people talk about, it. oh, my agent took this much, or my agent takes this much. Well, do you do a percentage, or do you do, like, a flat rate, or does it depend so- on the league
1: so when i was first starting out i would help out guys in north america a lot too like in terms of the east coast hockey league and you know a little bit in the american league and some of the the lower end leagues when i did that i charged them a flat fee but i mean nowadays i mostly focus on the overseas market just because it's more uh from a time perspective makes more sense you know because the commissions are a little bit higher and the team pays those commissions for the most part yeah so when a guy signs i'll get anywhere you know a percentage of their contracts i guess and um you know those are usually paid up front by the team or with not up front but once they pass their
0: physicals yeah i didn't know that i i uh i knew they did that with soccer but i didn't know they did that with hockey that's not quite co- as cool. lucrative as a soccer contract <laughs> so unfortunately. yeah yeah I, i've uh one of my really good friends is a long time he's, he's a soccer legend yep and then he became an agent and he was telling me some of the like it's insane yeah some of those deals that he'd make and just just by calling a player and and talking about it going to a different team or whatever. And same thing, he barely would represent anybody in Major League Soccer. He's just like, it's not even worth it. Yeah, I'm just going to spend my time with the European thing. So it's 2005, and you had your first company. Yep. And that was your college project. What happens with that company? What was it called and what ended up happening to it? Uh,
1: That was the Imonty Athlete Management Group, and I sold it on eBay. (laughs) What? My, My senior year. I flipped it on eBay to someone d- in Detroit for, uh, you know, for at that time I was a senior in college. I thought I was loaded. Yeah. I mean, it was a big deal for me um, and because I was kind of didn't know what I wanted to do at that time. I kind of wanted to try to play somewhere myself with the connections I had made. Um, I kind of was looking at opportunities to go maybe work at a bigger agency. Um, and I figured I needed, I mean, the money would helped me you know make that first step so i i I flipped it and uh yeah uh, ended up going to play in france for
0: for a season is that is it still around is that whoever bought it do they still run it i don't think so okay probably they weren't as driven as you were
1: no and and most of the guys fired the guy
0: Uh,
1: okay so i mean that wasn't in the contract when you sold it huh and again i was what 21 years old i did i'm sure none of it was
0: legal <laughs> but it yeah. was. You know Well, it's funny because uh so one of the guys that I ended up giving players to is John oliver Yep. And he's you know, he's coaching in Idaho now and he was the coach of the Steelheads, and they ended up in western Michigan and oh, J.O. yeah was an amazing person. And we sat down a couple of years ago when I was coaching in the Western States League and we were in the Vegas tournament. Yep. I sat down to lunch, he's like, So did you uh were you a certified agent when you were doing all that? And I said Wait, there's a certification? No, I had no I had no idea. Talking about the legalities of it. And, oh, yeah. and so now that you're an older, wiser person, yep. you're all you're legal. Oh, hundred percent. It's do a lot of agents aren't they
1: lawyers? Over in North America, when you're dealing with the NHL, I mean there's a lot of collective bargaining involved. There's a lot of uh, I know certain players in the NHL who their agent overlooks something. And it ends up costing them millions of dollars. Yeah. And so it's in their best interest to have someone with a legal background, but it's not required by any means. I mean, there's some good agents or very good agents that don't have legal backgrounds, but they have someone in their company that is a lawyer. So that kind of, you know, double
0: checks everything before it's finalized. Okay. Uh, But a lot of the contracts, at least the, uh, the, the thousand of them that I've signed... Or just basically, and uh, granted, now they have an e-bug contract, yeah. but they used to give me an actual contract, and it seemed like they just, like the East Coast League or the West Coast League, just had a standard yeah. contract with a blank spot where they'd put in your weekly pay and your per diem. And but, that's, in the East Coast League,
1: like, to be fair, most of those guys, if you're not on an NHL contract or have potential to, or even an American League deal, they don't really need someone helping them out. Right. Unless they're they're really trying to grind and they're... they're uh, just need a foot in the door, I guess. But I mean, most of those contracts, it doesn't take much. Okay. So,
0: so we talk about that you that you've matured now as a as a agent. Uh, when you look back, I, I want to talk to you a couple things. First, what's what's the biggest mistake looking back that you think you that you've made? Is there one, or is there a couple examples? Um, maybe just a little bit when I was first starting out,
1: underplacing some guys. Because to be fair, like I really didn't know the market as well as I I do now. Yeah. Um I don't think I've ever really done anything where I screwed someone out right. of anything, you know, thankfully. Um but maybe just being uneducated over over certain things when I was first starting out, I would say. Just um,
0: cutting your teeth, learning yeah, yeah, you've uh, got to learn
1: just like everybody else has got to learn. And, and I mean they got paid decent money, but they could have maybe played at a higher level. Some good players played lower levels just because of it. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, but for the most part, it's, I, I just, yeah, I, I don't think there's anything specifically like,
0: I, I'm like, oh, geez, that was a blunder. Yeah. Um, What would you say now as as a, you're obviously successful? You you sold your first company, which is awesome. Yeah. I think that's a great story. And then now you've got your second company, 30? 30, yep. 37? Yep. And so what with that, uh, you know,
1: I've been running that. So I, what I did was I went to... France to play for a year, Uh, played in the Paris area for a season, came back and finished the season in like a single A level league uh, in the East Coast, was actually signed to play in Germany the second year, and was ready to go, came to Ogden, clean out my my town home and everything, and I started dating my wife, Uh, we had known each other in college and kind of, you know, when that opportunity came along, I knew it was something I couldn't Oh, okay couldn't pass up. So I, I did that, uh, retired on the spot basically. Um, and went to work for selling data backup for six months and realized I hated it yeah. and kind of went all in on, I mean, the economy sucked right then. So, I mean, it was, they were laying people off anyways. And so I took that, at the severance and kind of re you know, jump started another company and, you know, had a little bit more understanding when I went in this time. Um, but you know, it's been what, ten years now, something like that, eleven years with oh, cool. this company and yeah, it's it's going well.
0: So you've what what pitfalls would you tell somebody else to watch out for? Uh in the agency business it's a dirty
1: business. It's yeah. it's every especially like in the German market, the Swedish market, um I'll have players trying to be poached from me on a daily basis. Um if you're not I mean I spend probably 45 days a year overseas, um, just visiting players, visiting teams, because if you don't, you lose them quick. Um, and it sucks because if that were to happen, all the hard work I've taken, right. done to take a guy from making $500 a week in the East Coast League to making six figures overseas is all out the window because someone swooped in and, and you know basically reaps the benefits
0: of it. So, you don't. That's crazy to think about. You don't have, like, a, a contract with that player? They can I just... do,
1: but at the end of the day, it's like I tell guys, it's like
0: a drill. If, you, if your girlfriend
1: tells you they don't want to be with you anymore, what are you going to do, a force or two? Right, okay. Um You know, if if
0: they want to fire you, they're going to fire you. Um See, and I, I've, I've heard of that happening, and I've heard it happening to you before. Uh, Evans actually told me, yeah. um I don't know if it was him or somebody else or whatever, that as soon as they got over there, like, you get them there, You get them from the U.S. to there, and then they have agents that that go there. Yeah, it's uh, so it really is a cutthroat
1: market. Oh, it's it's extremely dirty, and if you're not, you know, uh, a naive person, can get taken advantage of very quickly. And I've had to learn to be a little more street smart in regards to that over the course of my career. But still, a threat daily.
0: I mean, Uh, um, all your hard work could just go away because somebody else comes in and looks shiny. Yeah, you'll
1: uh, someone will come and, and. yeah, essentially say, well, we've got XXX X X players that you know, have moved on from here, and they'll uh, you know we've got this contract for this guy and whatnot, and I'm sure most of the time they exaggerate it, right? And they tell them what they want to hear and tell them how great they are, and yeah, you're out the door.
0: So and I know that similar stuff happens even in the NHL. Yep. Just some of the people I've I've known and been close to over the years. I don't want to say any names, but uh, one of the players that he's a NHL superstar and I was I was there when he somebody approached him an agent approached him at a charity event and just said hey did you know your agent was doing this yep. like we would never do that to you basically accusing his agent who was a family friend and just saying hey he's uh, he's taking back ends off your deals and uh and, and I guess it turns out there was some truth to it it wasn't as bad as the other guy said but it's it's just it was crazy to me that somebody would even take that approach knowing that the, there was a family history, like That's, a long family history.
1: Well, see, in my approach, I've never, I've never tried to, it's not my place to to come in and tell someone, you know, speak poorly of another person in right. their business because it's just bad karma, I think. And it comes back to bite you a little bit. Yeah. And plus it makes you look stupid. I think when you're going around telling everyone, you know, such and such guy, you know, agents a weasel. Because what if they, like you said, like what if they are a family connection? What if they they have had the guy since they were fourteen years old, and they believe everything this guy says? It also insults the player at the same time. Right. I I am a believer in the truth will come out eventually, and if you're just patient, you keep a relationship with the person. I mean, you know, it all
0: works out in the end. Let your work speak for itself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, mean, I, b- I believe and, in that as well. Yeah, and I and that's good to hear. I mean. Obviously, you're not going to say otherwise while you're on the air, but I've known you long <laughs> enough. I, I know that that's that's how you operate.
1: Yeah, just I don't think mudslinging or or name calling really ever. It's just not
0: professional at the end of the day. Um, tell me, do you have you had a player that surprised you? That's that you thought would barely get into a league and ended up being awesome and maybe playing high leagues. So,
1: speak. One player I had a player Patrick White who was a First round pick of the Vancouver Canucks, but so I guess he wasn't a complete surprise. But he was also voted the, like the biggest flop of the decade oh, in, the, wow. in the draft. Yeah, um, and the guy who had him before me had him placed in the third league in Germany, which is semi pro at best, and most guys have yeah. jobs. Yeah. Um, there's like two import players per teams, and whatever. I mean, actually Andy Surtich, uh, who played here for a while, was one of my guys for a long time, and uh, Patrick White's father is Andy's banker, so I got put in touch that way. Oh wow. And long story short, I put Patrick in Slovakia. Within twelve months of signing as a client, he was in the KHL. Like which is yeah, the NHL second, equivalent. second right. best yeah. league in the world and this kid was went from playing rec hockey essentially to you know second best league in the world just because of a couple of bounces and I was shocked to say the least. I mean I thought this guy was gonna make two thousand bucks a month and
0: cap out. Right. Cause there, I mean, there are guys that get drafted high, yep. and then fizzle out. And, a lot of them. Yeah, and, and it's funny. Like, you know, I've ran into a lot of them e-bogging, or even playing. Like, I remember playing with a first-round draft pick when I was playing that professional roller hockey league. Oh yeah. And here I am. I'm backing up a guy that's drank his drank his way out of the league, and and uh, but those guys still have the talent. They usually just need some kind of. It's not a belief in them, but it's usually a. A reality check or something. But it's cool to be able to get a hold of a guy like that and help him reestablish himself, a guy that had so much promise. And those guys are honestly a little more um I guess you
1: feel better about yourself at the end of the day when you make a difference in someone's life like that. Um, you know, and, and help them kind of realize a goal, right? Like I mean, go from being irrelevant
0: to kinda of relevant again. Yeah.
1: And it it could change their life if they wanted
0: to. Well, guys are coming from the KHL to the NHL all the time. All the time. There's definitely a path there. There are guys that refuse to come back. Yep. There are guys that think the KHL is better. It pays amazingly, yep. like, all net money. And, I mean, yeah. you know, it takes. We,
1: I usually tell guys that you have to basically make double what your European salary is. You have to make double that in North America for it to be equivalent, just after taxes, agent fees, right. and escrow, and everything like that. Whereas overseas, everything's net. The schedule's, you know, 30%, 40% less. Yeah. Um,
0: you know, sleeping in your own bed most nights. It's a lot of perks to it. Can you get me an e-bug deal over there in Russia? Sounds pretty good. Never know. <laughs> okay, so um, everybody else wants to go to the NHL. Is that your is that your hope? Is that your goal? Get your, um, to have a bunch of NHL players in I the in stable? I did
1: at one point. That was my goal. But n- I'm pretty content with my niche right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd rather focus on being the best at some at one thing as opposed to spreading myself too thin. Okay. Um, the NHL is such a competitive market. I mean, we talked at the draft, I talked to some of these agents that they're recruiting and buying equipment for kids at 13 years old. Yeah. I mean, if I bought 2006 for a 13-year-old, my wife would kill me. Yeah. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And, and I'd say 99 out of 100 of these kids don't pan out. Right. Like, yeah, one agent was actually telling me he got audited and they the accountant said, "This is the worst business model I've ever seen, like uh, how much money you're spending to try to recruit these guys, and no guarantee that you're going to get them.
0: I did that a lot, um whether it was legal or questionable as a as a player rep or okay. as, a, as a, an equipment rep too. I had to go scour all the uh, high school games in Minnesota, it's and crazy. i was I was at the Minnesota State Playoffs for uh what five six straight years, dropping sticks off oh it's insane it? oh yeah. And there's such competition
1: nowadays, especially with, like, the social media and everything like that. All these kids are are saying so-and-so is getting this attention, so-and-so is getting that attention. It's not like in the 90s when, you know, it was all rumors and yeah. myths and whatnot. Now it's they, they see it with their own two eyes, and there's a lot of jealousy, a lot of individualism, and you have to kind of deal with that. And, you know, when they know that this kid's getting such-and-such such from this agent, yeah, I mean, it...
0: Uh, it's just not something I, I want to get in. But I don't blame you. That's good, and, and that's. It sounds like it's a. It's a part of that. Uh, that uh, aging again. Some yeah. of that wisdom that you've gained to be able to realize a great place to be and a great place to yeah. make your niche and, and make your dollar.
1: I'll never get an
0: NHL rich, but I can make a decent living doing what I'm doing. You know. Yeah. Perfect. So, besides being a player agent, now you've also taken on a another responsibility with West Coast Renegades. Yep. Is it still the Renegades? Yep. It? Okay. It's the Renegades. I always, I always messed that up. Even when my son was playing, I yep. kept calling him the Regulators. Most people but, do. Yeah. So West Coast Renegades, uh, take us through that process. How long ago did you take over, and what's your role there?
1: So I had literally zero interest in working in youth hockey. Nope. Uh, a lot of the hockey parents are insane. Too much for me. Yeah. Um, another reason why I focus on the pro hockey is I don't want to deal with hockey parents at all. Um, but uh, so actually fred wilner ben's dad kind of wrote me into a meeting with joe durso uh, in july of the year i took over so what three years ago um kind of tried to get my feet wet on it and i was still very lukewarm at best they mentioned they needed a new coach kevin mcclellan's been one of my good friends actually he was the first coach to ever return my calls on a regular basis when i started out as an agent really so okay. that's cool like you know me and him had a pretty good relationship to the point that I was doing most of his recruiting for his teams at one point. Oh wow. Um when he was coaching pro. But he uh yeah, when when Mac came in and took took over as a head coach, I, I kind of helped facilitate that. And then Mac was in my ear a little bit about it. Joe and Fred were also and kinda of wore me down after after a little bit and I kinda of saw that they had a good thing going. The Dursos have the right intentions, um, in a market that or a youth hockey market that from what i've heard in the past had people with less than good intentions yeah absolutely um and but it was i also knew that there wasn't a fantastic reputation with the program at the time and it was going to be a lot of work and i was i underestimated how much work it was going to be initially um just it was just needed a lot of untangling and kind of getting a direction in place because they had games against all the right teams but for no purpose um they really had no, like, development plan in terms of moving kids on. And now what we've done is we've got them in a league. Uh, last year was in a little bit lower league. This year they're in the East Coast Elite League. It's based all on the East Coast. Um, most of the games are in Boston, Connecticut, uh, and I think New Hampshire also. But what it is, it gets some exposure to all the D1 schools, all the D3 schools, some of the East Coast junior programs that they might not get exposure to otherwise. Right. I mean, it's not all North American Hockey League, NA3HL, USHL. It's, you know, they have opportunities to go play. And some of the bigger East Coast programs were there, you know, within an hour drive of 20 D1 programs.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I I have to agree with you, too, on, on the intent of the program now. And I... I think the owner's intent was always there, mm-hmm. and from what I what I've met, I've, I've met them a few times, and um, I've coached against that organization a lot, and it's it's always seemed to me like the potential was there, but the right pieces weren't there. So you come in, and now are you the GM of the organization, or what's- yeah,
1: I, I I basically I'm responsible for all the hiring and you know appointing coaches and whatnot. Um, help out with a little bit of the recruiting like for the overseas guys but I let the coaches kind of make their own choices just as I'm not around enough with all of them to really know the players as well as they do um, and kind of help them get a direction of what teams we're going to have each year and uh, you know uh, try to get continue to get into leagues that are uh, good but not above where we are because okay. I don't want to embarrass anyone right I want to get in there and be challenged but not be out of our league if that makes any sense. Yeah,
0: Kevin McClellan and I talked a little bit about that yep. as far as um, players playing in games. Not just to say that they played against that team. Absolutely, you, you got to be somewhat competitive, and, and there's a there's a huge difference in in going in and getting blown out twenty to zip, and being even even if you don't win, even if you do get blown out. Just to be able to develop, because some of those games you're not going to develop in unless you legitimately belong there. I, I That's what I 100%. believe in. Anyway. Yeah. So you bring in Kevin McClellan. How many teams do you guys have now?
1: We have three teams. We have a 16, a 15, and a 14, um, undecided on what we're going to have next year.
0: Oh, I thought you guys had it. You don't have an 18 this year? No. Nope. Oh, okay. No 18s. Um, and they all play AAA? Yep, all
1: AAA. Tier 1. Um, I don't know what they
0: call it. It's still Tier 1, Tier yeah, AAA. Yeah, Tier 1.
1: Tier um, 1. They're, right now, the 15s and 16s are middle of the pack in their league. That's um, exactly where you want right to be. Right, where we want to be. Yeah. Um, I mean, against some good programs from New Jersey, from Boston, um, a couple of the kids have D1 schools that have approached us at games, just inquiring about them. Um, and it's also good, That's too, Impressive. we're on trips, we get to get them out to D1 games, We get to. I took them to Morning State at Quinnipiac uh, last time we were there, so they get a little bit of exposure to the game, just kind of see what it takes on a day-in, day-out basis and what these guys do to prepare, and how they do it on their own and don't need someone babysitting them the whole time.
0: Is there a percentage of local guys you guys keep on this team, on these teams? No set specifics,
1: but I'd say each roster is probably 75% local.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. I we, had no, I thought it would be less than that, honestly. In like the pa- I thought it would be less than 50%. Well, in the
1: past, they'd focused on primarily recruiting from out of the area. Yeah. Um, but I found that those kids that they bring in weren't great. I mean, they were they were available for a reason. Okay. Either they weren't very good or, you know, I guess not to knock any of them, but I mean, they weren't the... F-
0: the. There's a reason they weren't yeah, making it in their they, home they, state.
1: they weren't the first choice for their program. And, like, you look at a Colorado kid, he can't make one of the four teams in the state. Right. I mean, is he going to be better than what we have here? You might as well give the opportunity to a kid here and develop them locally as opposed to doing it for someone else.
0: With all the... All the development that we've had here, the better coaching that seems to have been here over the last 10 years, do you think that that also, that's uh, contributing to you having such a high percentage of Utah players on your roster and then competing at a, at a tier one level? I'll I'll tell you what, Mac has been
1: a huge, huge boost to that in terms of developing them, giving them confidence, um, the turnover, like kids wanting to leave. When I first took over, it was every year there was kids wanting to leave the state after one decent season. Now they want to stay and they want to continue. i mean, to the point that we have kids wanting to stay and play 18s as opposed to oh cool going to play junior with any junior team that'll take them. And there's plenty of them that'll take them now. Um, they all want to stay and, and continue to develop within the state and play with their buddies. Yeah, which is awesome. It's not a something we had in the past.
0: No, that, uh, every kid took the first opportunity they had well, to get out of the state, places they shouldn't have went. Yeah, I, I, I just it's it's awesome to me, and I, I think. To anybody listening right now, it's it's got to be um, if you're a hockey parent right now and you're you're worried about that because we we've talked to Daniel Brickley and we've talked to Trevor Lewis who left at 14, and next week we've got uh, Nick and Alex Halloran on and they left home at 14, and my son started having to yep. you know think about that at 14, and as a parent I didn't have kids to have them leave home at 14. We've had that's kind of the thing. It's nice to have. Um, a place here and it was cool to me my son was basically done with hockey when kevin reached out to him and brought him into the regulators organization renegades close enough <laughs> dang it i was trying to, i was gonna get it right the whole time i should have written it down somewhere anyway the west coast organization and uh he had so much fun finishing out the season with them and played in some fun tournaments with them that he considered playing another year this is a year, this is after he decided not to go to the USHL. He thought, well, maybe I'll just play one more year with these guys instead of going to college right away. Because he, that was his whole reason. I, I think that just speaks uh, volumes to what you guys have done. I, I, I admire the program. I'm glad that it's here. I'm glad that the tier two programs here are seem to be cleaning up their acts as well and and stepping up not, a lot better. They're not saying they're tier one when they're not. No, unless I, I missed something. And they're they're not mis- intentionally or unintentionally or trying to. Um, Just fulfill parents' dreams, you know what I mean? Because it it seemed like that—that's what it was a lot of times. Like the the coaches and the organization knew that they had a tier two team, but the parents wanted to say their kids were tier one. Well, and and it was a joke.
1: The thing with with these kids too, like I I noticed from from the first tournament I helped Mac out with this year to the second one, just the development, especially with the fifteen year old group. Yeah, when that's kind of their first year of like I don't want to say real coaching, but like having being with mac and and having um someone who has a strict system in place and has is a demanding coach um just seeing the development when they finally start to grasp it and get it and how they respond to him is is pretty encouraging and i think there's some kids that you know might have been written off by other people that are are really um might have a future if they a few things go in in their favor and they grow a little bit maybe um just to very hungry and enthusiastic group
0: of kids too on all the teams that's uh that's really good to hear and and I, uh kevin mcclellan had also pointed out some other local coaches yep. that uh a couple that weren't from here and then a couple that were from here that are that he thinks are doing a good job developing it's Absolutely. it's good to know that we have those resources here um I, I one thing i wanted to ask you and this is i know this is going to be a hot button i don't know how much you care about it But uh, we're going to have a full episode uh, devoted to the Utah High School eliminating your players from eligibility.
1: I mean, I think it's, in my personal opinion, I think it's a little unnecessary just because, I mean, these kids are in high school. They want to play with their buddies. I mean, they want to have friends Uh, in kind of an era where kids are being segregated from their friends at school and having a hard time making friends. I think it's kind of stupid to take away an opportunity for them to have someone to associate with at school when that's no. a tough time for so many kids nowadays.
0: Yeah, do I, mean- you, I, I would have to agree with it, and uh, it, I know it was it almost well, it affected my son his senior year sure. just because it, they didn't do the tier, the tier one guys, but they did the junior A guys yeah. right away, um, and that was sad to see because he really. He enjoyed the camaraderie with the high school kids. He, I don't think he even really enjoyed a lot of those games because it was a different kind of challenge for him um, as a goaltender. But uh, uh, I, keep, I keep talking about my son, but that's the only reference I have for high school recently. And it was just frustrating to see that taken away from him. It was such a big deal to me to be able to play at Murray High. That was my first team I'd ever played for. We tended to get a, a ton of fans. Mm-hmm. And then you go play you know, whatever else you're playing, you guys don't get it. Like West Coast isn't getting a ton of fans. You're getting parents and maybe some scouts. We
1: have barely any home games. Right. Because, I mean, unfortunately, we're this, the situation we're in, a lot of teams don't want to come out here to play just because there's no one else for them to play. When we go to Colorado, we can play four different teams. Here it's four or five games against one team, and right. it
0: gets old after a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense. So we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have representatives from the Utah High School Athletic Association. Actually, no, just from Utah High School Hockey. We're gonna let them come on and uh, defend that position. I'm sure they have, uh, you know, some really good arguments on their behalf. And we're gonna have that be a full uh, episode as well. And just figure this out. Let's let's just air it out instead of just let's find out from everybody what their their preferences are and uh, get that out to to the people. And I, I think that'll be a good episode. Um, Dave, I want to. Thanks for coming out. And really appreciate, well, appreciate your time. Um, you're going to be a good resource for this for this uh, podcast. I think uh, we're going to have to have you in a few more times. I think I'm we done. should we should just have a podcast where we we're, we're just bring in me, you, and Evan, and just make fun <laughs> of Ben. I'm all for that. <laughs> I've got a lot of stories. Okay, so coming up on the Utah Puck Report in the next uh, couple weeks, we have our college kids coming home and our junior A kids coming home. So we're going to talk. To uh, Nick Halloran, who was a Hobie Baker finalist, or he was a Hobie Baker nominee last year and he 's uh, playing at Colorado College and his brother Alex Halloran, who played at air Force and uh, what an amazing accomplishment to make it into one of those academies we 're going to talk to them about you know growing up in utah they 're one of the few that uh, you know we talk to these kids that they, they, they all say, "Oh, nobody believed in me." And I wasn't the best until I was 18. These kids were good from freaking eight years old. And everybody knew they were going to go somewhere, and they did. And it's it's that's going to be fun to hear from them. Uh, we've got Mason Manick. He gets back in town playing uh, juniors in uh, Portland and the WHL. We also have a cool episode coming out. I've reached out to George Peros from the NHL Safety Commission, a longtime NHL fighter. We're going to have, I'm going to have Scott Mitchell, a longtime NFL quarterback. We're going to talk about concussions in hockey. We're going to talk about what's, what warning signs can you have as a parent and as a coach? What's uh, what do we look out for? And when do you know it's time to pull your kid out of a game and out of a season? So we've got a lot of good things coming up. If uh, I, I need you to subscribe, just uh, text 57500. Uh, text the word PUCK to 57500 5, that'll get you a link to subscribe if you have the KSL Sports app we're right there on there if you don't have it you should download it KSL Sports has an app so we're going to be covering hockey on there too lots of cool sports coverage on there but Dave once again thanks sorry I had Absolutely. to plug the whole the podcast there for a minute but uh, that's it for us we're the Utah Puck Report and we're out